0: All right, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, happy Father's Day. Um, I want to say, though, that I think that we might have a little, a little problem here this morning, though, and that is the fact um, that I'm sure a lot of you gave your fathers Father's Day cards that said, you're the best dad ever. And I challenge that. My dad is the best dad ever, okay? Not yours. They both can't be the best dad ever, right? And if you want proof to how great my dad is, All you have to do is look at how great his son turned out. (laughs) All right, so seriously, though, um, you know, something that's been on my heart uh, all week leading up to Father's Day is, you know, if you look uh, both at River Ridge Church and also at trends at churches nationwide, after Easter and Christmas, do you all want to take a guess as to what the most well-attended Sunday mornings are at churches, both here and churches in general. After Christmas and Easter, what's the most highly attended service? Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Do you all want to guess what both here at River Ridge Church and also churchwide, do you want to guess what, the, what one of the worst attended Sundays is in church? It's Father's Day. I have no idea why that is. My assumption is I think on the Sunday that mom gets to decide what the families are going to do, I think mom says, we're going to go to church as a family and everybody goes. And I think when Father's Day rolls around and it's time for fathers to decide what they want to do on Sunday mornings, unfortunately, I think the church sometimes is not that high on the priority list, and that breaks my heart. I mean, it really does. And so I say all that to make this one point, is if you are a father this morning, and you woke up this morning, and you said, you know what I want to do on my Father's Day morning? I want to take my family to church. I say A-plus to you. You are a great dad. So give yourself a hand this morning. Yeah. So we're continuing our summer sermon series called The Other 316s. And what this sermon series is about is, you know, we all know John 3.16 is one of the most well-known verses in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish and have everlasting life. That's the song that we uh, just sang before we come out here. But if you look at the other 3.16s throughout the Bible, you'll find that there's some really good verses out there. And so what we're doing this summer is we're looking at some of the other uh, 3.16s. And so this morning we're going to be talking about James 3.16, which says this. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And so some of your translations there may use the word envy instead of jealousy. But here's what we're going to do over the next 25 uh, minutes or so this morning. is it's, This is almost going to be kind of like three mini-messages, okay? I'm going to talk for about 10 minutes about jealousy. I'm going to talk for about 10 minutes about selfish ambition. And I'm going to talk for 10 minutes about the things that they have in common— And the common cure for both of those things. So that is our layout uh, this morning. So before we get too far there, I want to pray for us. Father, God, this morning as we uh, look at this topic, God, I pray that you speak to our hearts. uh, Help the scriptures speak to us and help us see what you want us each individually to see out of these words this morning. God, I pray you open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears uh, to what you want to have to say uh, to all of us this morning. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so let's start with um, with jealousy. And I don't know about you, but man, I really, I struggle with jealousy. And you know, it's so hard when you, you know, get on Facebook, okay, and you're sitting there, and you're scrolling through your feed, and you see that family that's on their, like, fifth vacation of the year, and they're posting these perfect pictures of these perfect locations, and everybody's smiling and happy, and they're posting these pictures of these, like, gorgeous meals, and you see that, and you're, like, sitting there at your house, and the kids are screaming, and everything's going crazy, and you're just like, like, comment, have fun paying off that vacation for the next three years, backspace, 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 have fun on your trip, emoji, 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 right? That's what we do. And you see that, and you're just like, ugh. And I have another story about jealousy um, that, so I had, For years, I had this car picked out that I wanted to buy, okay? Subaru Forester, nothing exciting, but that was the car that I wanted to get. And for years, I talked to my friend about I want to get this car. I had a make, model, collar, everything picked out exactly. And I was waiting for the right time to buy this car. And my friend shows up in my driveway one day, and guess what he's driving? He bought the exact same car, make, model, collar, everything, exactly like I wanted. And I was so jealous. And if you're watching online, man, you know who you are. (laughs) I was so mad. I was like, who does that? That's my car. That's the one that I wanted. You got it. I wanted it. And so when these things happen, you know, you become bitter. You become so bitter, and you become angry. And then you start to feel bad for yourself, and you throw yourself a little pity party, and you think, Whoa is me. And that's the path that jealousy takes you down. But here's the problem with jealousy, is jealousy makes you feel lousy. Jealousy makes you feel lousy. And here's the other thing that I think is interesting about jealousy. Jealousy is not, it's never about the what, right? It's about the who. Because, you know, nobody ever says, I don't want anybody to have any nice things, right? Nobody says that. That's not the problem. We don't have a problem with people having nice things. The problem becomes when somebody, that person, has what I want, they have it, and I don't. And so jealousy comes with a name. And to see how this works, uh, let's take a look back in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. And before we read um, the passage, I'm going to give you a little context what sets, this, uh, what sets this story up. And so here we are at a period uh, in the history of Israel where a guy named King Saul is the ruler. And King Saul had been having all these different success against all these enemies of Israel, but the one nation that he could not seem to get the upper hand on was the Philistines. And the the Israelites and the Philistines kept going back and forth, and nobody could seem to get the upper hand on this. And one of the things that's interesting just historically is the Philistines actually had a huge technological advantage on the Israelites. And so the Israelites just could not seem to get the upper hand on the Philistines. And then we get to one of the most well-known stories uh, in the Bible, and that is you have the Israelite army camped on one side of a valley and the Philistine army camped on the other side of a valley. And this giant Philistine comes out, and he says, Here's what we're gonna do. I want your best fighter to fight me. And if I win, you all become our servants, but if you win, we become your servants. This guy's name's Goliath, right? And Goliath comes out there and says that. And nobody challenges him. For 40 days, nobody comes out. And Goliath comes out to the lines and he's taunting the Israelites and taunting God and saying, Nobody, somebody fight me, somebody fight me, until finally the shepherd boy named David gets so offended that Goliath is insulting his God, that David says, I'm going to fight him. And then so you have this story, it's one of the best stories in the Bible, where David comes out and he picks up the stone and uses the sling and hits Goliath in the head, knocks him out, and then uses Goliath's own sword to cut his head off. And they have this great exchange back and forth. It's a great story. I'm totally oversimplifying it for the sake of time. But it's this awesome moment in the history of Israel. And the point is, the Israelites finally win this battle and finally get the upper hand On the Philistines. Okay, so that's where this picks up. So, 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're gonna start in verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns in Israel to meet King Saul. With singing and dancing, and with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres, they danced and they sang. Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but only me with a thousand. What more could he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. There is no question that what God did through David was this awesome thing that was worth celebrating. And the women here have met the returning soldiers home with this victory parade. And it says these are songs of joy. These aren't the women are not trying to spite Saul. This isn't. They're not trying to undermine him. They're celebrating this great event. Everybody's happy. It says that all the troops were happy. All of Saul's officers were happy. A little bit later, it says that God was with David, and everything that David did was successful. Everybody was happy. And, you know, the women were happy, and let's be honest for a minute, when the women are happy, that means everybody's happy, right? (laughs) But not David. Or, I'm sorry, not Saul. Saul was very angry. And he directed that anger not towards the women who were singing the songs. He directed that anger to the who. To him, jealousy had a name, and his name was David. And so over the next 13 chapters, if you look at the rest of how the story plays out, over the next 13 chapters, Saul loses everything. He loses his kingdom. He loses most of his family. He loses his life in this pursuit to avenge David and to get David. This whole thing, he spends the whole rest of his life trying to get at David. See, jealousy had a name, and for King Saul, jealousy's name was David. Okay, now let's talk about selfish ambition for a little bit. And so I want to start with a story about selfish ambition. Is many, many years ago, there was an angel. And this angel was not just any angel. This angel was a special angel. This angel was called the Seal of Perfection. It was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This angel lived in Eden itself. This angel was called the Day Star, and it was anointed by God as a cherub, which means it was one of the closest angels to God. But this angel just wasn't content being a special angel. See, this angel's pride and its beauty, and because of its splendor, it became proud. And the angel said, I'm going to ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I'm going to place my throne above the stars of God. And he said, I'm going to make myself like God himself. And so because of that sin, God cast this angel out of heaven. And today, we know this angel as Satan. And so I wanted to start out that story to make this point, is when James 3.16 says that ambition, selfish ambition, leads to every vile practice. Like, I don't think that this is an exaggeration. Satan was ambitious enough to think that he could become like God himself. Out of all the things that could have corrupted Satan, out of all the things that got him, it was his ambition and it was his pride. That was what led to Satan's fall. And so I ask you this question: Is like, what do we think about ambition? I mean, do we avoid it? Do we tolerate it? Do we ignore it? Do we encourage it? Like jealousy is kind of an easy one. If I say, "Is jealousy wrong?" You'd say, "Yeah, jealousy is wrong. Jealousy is sin." That's the easy one, right? What about ambition? is ambition wrong? Is ambition a sin? Like, we live in 21st century America. Man, that's what made America great is our ambition, right? We had goals, and we worked hard, and we obtained them. That's what makes us great, right? If your boss was giving you an employment review, and on that review they said, you have ambition, you would say, thank you, right? If, you're, if a teacher said that about your son or daughter, they said, they're ambitious, you would say, thanks, that's a good thing, right? And so, because of that, we read verses in the Bible like Galatians five, nineteen through twenty-one, like this: The acts of the flesh are obvious—sexual immorality, immortality, morality. Sorry, sin, impurity, and debauchery. That's terrible. Idolatry, witchcraft, evil, hatred, bad, discord, wrong, jealousy. Ah, fits of rage, stupid, selfish ambition. Eh. Dissensions, terrible. Factions ruin relationships. Envy, also bad. Drunkenness is destructive. Orgies are vulgar and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like the sexually immoral and angry people who drink too much and practice witchcraft, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what about ambition? They say that you should know people by the company they keep, right? And here we see That ambition keeps the company with some of the worst sins that the Bible talks about. So maybe we should consider ambition by the company that it keeps in Scripture. And the problem with selfish ambition is it's based on the lie of scarcity. It's based on the lie that God cannot bless this person and me equally at the same time. Because you look at it and you say, if God gives that person something, then that means less for me. It's based on that lie that God is not big enough to give you both both of those things. And so for a story about ambition, let's look at Luke chapter 22. Begin in verse 14. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I have poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me at the table." The Son of Man will go as has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays me. They begin to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. All right, so, I mean, we know that story really well, right? I mean, that's the communion story. We talk about it at least once, once a month here. And I've read this passage so many times, and I don't think I've ever noticed what comes next, okay? I've never noticed it until I was preparing for this this passage, because you see this, and this is this beautiful picture. I mean, the disciples are, and Jesus are having this wonderful moment, and Jesus is, is going through the Passover meal with them and having this beautiful, special moment with the disciples. I can only imagine the emotion and just how wonderful that moment would have been to sit there, okay, and see this happening all play out. But you know what comes next, and I've, I never saw this until this week. Verse 24, listen to this a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. <laughs> have you ever noticed that was there? I mean, right after you have this beautiful picture, they're arguing about which of them is going to be the greatest. And you're like, Duh, are you kidding me? But I mean, I think we do that too. And so let me ask you this. What do these two stories that we read have in common? The story of King Saul and the story of the Last Supper. What do these two things have in common? They're two of the most well-known stories in the Bible. They're stories of God doing amazing things. See, in the story of David, God used a shepherd boy, to defeat Goliath and bring victory to Israel. But it was so much bigger than that. This was was David's first step from going from Shepherd David to King David, who was one of the greatest leaders in the history of Israel and did all these wonderful things for Israel. And then in the story of the Last Supper, you had Jesus going through and flipping the script on the Passover meal and saying that I am going to bring this new covenant that's going to be based on my blood. And both of these events were like, I mean, I don't think it's an understatement to say these were like earth-shattering stories that changed the course of history. They are so important in the Bible. God was doing incredible things, incredible things in these stories. But what you see in both these stories is while, meanwhile, while God is doing these earth-shattering things, what is preoccupying the hearts of those that have a front-row seat to what God is doing? On one side, you have jealousy in King Saul, and with the disciples, you have selfish ambition. And this is why I think selfish ambition and jealousy are such a big problem for us. Because what happens is when God is doing incredible things in the lives of people, when God is doing incredible work in somebody else's life, when God is doing big and wonderful and great things far too often, Instead of sitting there celebrating with them, we're sitting there saying, God, what about me? God, when is my turn? God, you know, I would really like some of that too, God. God, I deserve that too. God, where is mine? And see, jealousy and ambition have the danger of dividing Christians when our brothers and sisters are enjoying a blessing that we get or that they get and we don't. And instead of celebrating with them, we become bitter. And we start to direct this ill will or whatever it is to these people because they have something that we don't. And I'm going to be especially vulnerable right now in saying this, is I think it's especially really hard for church leaders, okay? Because it is so hard to be a leader in a church and to look and see another church out there that's doing great things and growing and succeeding and all these wonderful things are happening at that church. It's really hard not to look at that and be like, why can't we have that, you know? I guess we just need to work harder so that we can do these wonderful things too. Instead of celebrating what God is doing, we look at it and we're like, where's where's ours? And so really, at its core, I think that jealousy and ambition are symptoms of the same common disease. See, really at its core, jealousy is when someone else has something that we want for ourselves. Jealousy is when someone else has something that we want for ourself. And selfish ambition is when we want something for ourself that we don't want anybody else to have. And so here is the same disease are intertwined in both of these. And it's the disease of self. Both are focused on self. And here's why it's such a big problem. is because the gospel message, the gospel is inherently selfless. The gospel message is that God loved you and I so much that he went to the cross without concern for any of the consequences for him because he loved us so much that he made that ultimate sacrifice. The cross is literally the most selfless action that we can possibly imagine. And in John 15, 12, Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I have loved you selflessly, so we are to love selflessly. And so what's the cure to all this then? And I use the word cure kind of loosely because it's, I mean, you know, you can work really hard at this and you may do, you have many times when you do really well and times when you don't. Know so maybe cure is maybe too big of a word. But what's the solution? What, what can we do to address this, this issue in our lives? And lucky for us. Paul spells it out crystal clear in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And so, how do we challenge our hearts out of a state of selfish ambition and jealousy? It's we value other people's successes over our successes. We value other people's blessings over our blessings. We celebrate other people's wins more than we celebrate our own. I mean, doesn't that sound nice? Author Annie Downs explained it this way, and I thought this was just such a great um, illustration. She says this. It says, we tend to look at life like a game of shoots and ladders. And the problem with Shoots and Ladders, if you've ever played that game or played it recently, the problem with this game is it's totally not fair. Right? Totally not fair. Because you can be playing with somebody and you can roll a 6, which is like a good number, right? And your 6 can land you on a shoot and you go 40 spaces backwards. And meanwhile, the person you're playing with, they can roll a 1 and their 1 gets them on a ladder and they jump and like win the game in one roll, right? Shoots and Ladders is not fair and life is not fair. And life is like that, too, because you know in life, we can do everything right. You can do every single thing right, and somebody else can do every single thing wrong, but sometimes it feels like they win and we don't, right? And so when you look at life like a game of shoots and ladders, it's really hard, maybe even impossible, not to have selfish ambition and jealousy. And it's not healthy for us, and it's not healthy for the person that we're playing the game with. But instead, what she says is, we shouldn't be looking at life like a game of shoots and ladders. Instead, let's look at life like a game of solitaire. And what she says she actually encourages people to do is to buy a deck of cards. She got 52 cards in there. And to actually write 52 things, one thing on each card unique to your life. Some things are going to be good things. Some things are going to be bad things. But it's to set up this idea in this illustration that this is the deck of cards that, I've, that are my deck. This deck is unique to me. And our goal in life should be to play that game with the deck of cards that we have to the best of our ability. And sometimes that deck, that game may be really easy to play. Sometimes it may be really hard, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to play that game as well as we possibly can without regard to what's going on in somebody else's game over here. Because we can be playing our game and we can be having good things happening, bad things happen. And we can look over here at the person playing next to us and we can say, that's awesome, congratulations, way to go. Oh, geez, that's hard. I feel sorry for you. Because we're both playing two completely independent games. And so the point here is to be the biggest fan that you can possibly be in the lives of the people around you. It's like Romans twelve fifteen says, rejoice with those who rejoice, right? Celebrate them, encourage them, cheer for them, honor them, help them celebrate their wins even if it means that you may not be getting a win yourself. And that's a hard one. I mean, I'm not saying that lightly. I realize that is really hard to do. But here's some benefits if we live life uh, this way. First thing is it'll help, it'll help all of us have a more positive outlook in life if we're just focused on our game and not worrying about what some what's going on in somebody else's. It will help us with contentment and appreciating our own blessings instead of comparing ourselves with others. You've all heard the quote, the comparison is the thief of joy. Man, I think that is so true. I've seen that happen so many times in my life where things are going really well for me, you know, and I'm sitting there and just in my own little bubble, I'm like, things are great. Until I look over and I see that person, I'm like, you know what, things aren't so great anymore because they have something that I don't have. And and all of a sudden, these positive feelings and everything that I felt about my little world just come completely crashing down and it steals that joy from our hearts. Another benefit is if, you know, I mean, if we all lived our lives like this, like, things would be fun, wouldn't it be? Like, wouldn't this be a fun way to live surrounded by people who celebrate you and you're celebrating them, it would just be so, I think, encouraging and beneficial and lifting each other up? I think that'd be a fun way to live life. Everything, I think everyone would benefit from that outlook. Another benefit is that Cooperation is way less stressful than competition, right? I mean, is that true? Cooperation is way less stressful than competition. Another reason that's good is that, you know, we have to get over this idea that um, somebody else's success does not diminish our own success. I heard it this week said this way, is that blowing out somebody else's candle doesn't make yours burn any brighter, right? I think that's a good point. And finally, I think the, the last benefit of this is, is that if we really lived our lives like this, I think people would notice. I think people would notice because if something happens in the workplace or, you know, with some, some friends and everybody else is kind of grumbling about this great thing that happened to somebody else and we didn't get that and blah, 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 and you're the person that says, you know what, I'm happy for them. I think that gets noticed and people start to see, why, what is, they have a different outlook to this than I do. Why do they have that I don't? Why, do they, why are they able, able to react positively towards this and I am not? I think it will be noticed. And so I want to conclude with this thought. If you remember nothing else from this message, here's kind of the takeaway. When it comes to jealousy and it comes to selfish ambition in our lives, when it comes to somebody else's wins, remember to cheer and not jeer, right? We can just all have that outlook. Anytime you feel those emotions of jealousy start Coming up in our heart, anytime we can feel those selfish ambitions start to come up, just remind yourselves: I want to cheer and not jeer. I want to celebrate with this person. I want to rejoice with this person. It's not about me; it's about them. I'll pray for us, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you loved us in the most selfless way that we can possibly think of. And I thank you for that example in our lives, God. That that. You tell us to love selflessly just as you loved us, God. I pray this week, Lord, and just moving forward in our lives, that when we struggle with these feelings of jealousy, when we struggle with the feelings of selfish ambition, God, that we can remember that command, God, that we are to love people above ourselves, Lord, and that we can learn to celebrate people. We can celebrate things in their lives, God, and we can, be, um, we can drop the jealousy, drop the selfish ambition by focusing on the positive and helping remember Helping celebrate them, God. Lord, I thank you for that challenge. I thank you for that command to us, Lord. And I just pray that we can all uh, do better that in our lives uh, moving forward. All these things in Your Son's name, Amen. All right, that is our time together. Uh, if you are new here, want to check out, want to learn more about River Ridge, uh, Matt's going to be leading a Discovery River Ridge class in the Starting Point Room uh, in a minute. Other than that, go cook some meat on the grill and have a great Father's Day. <laughs>